been procrastinating about this one. It's been a couple of weeks since you guys have heard from me. Now, I have been fatigued. And look, fatigue's a very interesting thing. I've been driving three to five hours a day, depending on traffic, basically. And that's taken it out of me. It's also taken away that three to five hours every day is my workout time. It's my podcast time. That's the time that I allot to get external things done outside of my work and my lovely family. However, I think as I sat in the lounge room tonight, I realized I was totally procrastinating. And I'm procrastinating because the podcast you're about to hear, I'm not real happy with. However, I'm releasing it because it's part of the journey. It is the first time that I have presented the information to someone else, in this case, uh, Brendan Murphy, and it wasn't in order, didn't really flow. Uh, we did it over Zoom, which is very good for as far as sharing pictures is concerned. However, I didn't have the pictures lined up correctly, and I suppose, bottom line, I'm not that happy with it. However, I need to release it because it's part of a larger picture that is evolving here, seems to be accelerating fairly rapidly here at Unlocking the Code. And in releasing this, it shows where I started with some of this stuff. Now, it's, it's, I'm trying to synthesize the megalith society data and postulating some of the original theories that have come out of the refinery, you know, some of the original ideas. I'm not saying they're my ideas because there's nothing new in the zoo. However, they're ideas that I haven't come across yet. And it's an important part moving forward so we can understand the broader picture. There, there's many pieces that are lining up and the stuff in Australia seems to be heating up quite rapidly. The information seems to be coming thick and fast and there's some exciting stuff on the, on the horizon because this initial presentation is me training myself to actually present to a live audience, which has been one of the dreams of the podcast. This it, this will be okay to listen to via audio. However, for the first time ever, it's probably better if you watch this one on YouTube because I do present a lot of pictures. I do explain them. However, I do present a lot of pictures. And look, this isn't the first intro I've done with this. A shout out to Mr. McDermott. He came around the other night and we did an intro for this episode. However, I chose to, to redo it because I need to explain why it hasn't come out yet. But it's all about personal growth. It's all about showing vulnerability and seeing where we come from. And in doing this, I hope you guys enjoy it. However, it's more of a lesson. Understand that I'm releasing this fully well knowing that I'm not satisfied with it and I need to do better and I will do better. And I once every iteration as it evolves, I will share with you guys. Had Richard Patterson back on Friday just gone and the next episode is going to take a bit of a dark turn because prior to Australia Stonehenge Richard spent 20 years researching the Jack the Ripper and who he thinks is the killer. I'm not going to spoil that one however very dark yet fascinating and interesting podcast and for my money I'm with Richard. Uh, I'm going to get a copy of his book and have a good read of it However, from what he shared with us, I think he's nailed it, whoever that's next. next. Well, it'll probably be later this week. I'm going to release a couple in a row. I'll keep you guys updated as things continue to evolve here. However, I don't have much more than that. Really appreciate your time and your patience. 
And I thought it was interesting that the last statement of the Brothers Keeper podcast was me saying I won't stop. And then I stopped for nearly nearly three weeks, I think it is. However, it doesn't mean I stopped the podcast. I'm just contemplating and thinking about ways to streamline this medium, ways to maximize the amount of data that's actually coming in and presenting some of that data, yet still having the, the long-form conversations that have made this podcast what it is. Really appreciate your time, guys. Hope all is well. Stay safe, stay disciplined, keep focused, be kind, be cool. The music for this one, I'm not sure. I think Rowdy is going back on the road, so I might use some of his stuff. Really cool to see him back out playing his guitar in front of people. So that's very cool. Shout out to Rowdy. That's it, guys. We'll talk soon. Cheers.
Brendan D. Murphy here, and I'm joined tonight by my mate, Triff Triffin, fellow Australian, a truth seeker, fellow podcaster, knowledge seeker. What else is he into? Self-development. He's the host of Unlocking the Code podcast and very much into alternative history, which is what we're going to, that's the thread we're going to be pulling on tonight in our conversation. So Triff, um, without further ado, further ado, I think we're going to go sort of, as, as you said before we started, around the world and then bring it back home to Australia, arguably the, the place where it all started. Um, <laughs> very interesting story there. But yeah, let's do this. Let's talk alternative history and you know, what, what, what's, what's missing from the mainstream? Um, where does your mind go to, to kick this journey off? Well, I think the first thing we need to say, or you know, the first thing I wanted to say is that I don't know anything. The one thing that I know is that I know nothing. However, I have put thousands of hours worth of work into this. Uh, countless books, podcasts, audio books, articles, you name it. And anything that I present to you tonight, mate, I've looked at all aspects of it. And this is the perspective that I've settled on that makes sense to me. Uh, and that's all it is. You know, anything to do with this alternative history, the reality is we don't know. We've, we've, there's a lot of clues and there's a lot of evidence. However, the interpretation of that evidence is up to the observer, as we understand. Uh, and look, I just want to get it off the straight away. When we do come back to Australia, we'll be talking about Indigenous sites. We'll be talking about Indigenous people and much respect to them and, and to the ancestors of this land. However, just wanted to get that one out, mate. But where we start, I think it's more mainstream now that people understand that 12,800 years ago or thereabouts, the world ended and it ended pretty abruptly. Now, the cause of that is in question. However, I side with the Comet Research Group. Uh, those guys posit that a comet broke up, smashed into the ice shelf of North America and basically the sea level rose 400 feet in the matter of about two weeks. Now, prior to that, there's evidence of an advanced civilization of megalith that is megalithic in nature. And one of the, sh the screens, uh, I'm going to share some stuff here. So you've got, um, we see here, There's an example of the ice sheet, okay? So that's the Cordilleran ice sheet and the Laurentide ice sheet. Theoretically, this little line that goes through the middle here, that's the corridor that everyone walked through and then killed all the manis, which is, which is not true. However, we'll get to that in a minute. But you can see here that a, an ice sheet covered majority of North America, uh, into North America and all of Canada. And they estimate that this ice sheet was up to two miles high at its peak. Think about that for a second. An ice sheet 3.2 kilometres from where you're sitting vertically. That's how thick this ice sheet was in places. And it basically, a number of objects came out of the sky, smashed into that ice sheet and basically melted all that water and the sea level rose 400 feet in a matter of about two weeks. But also while that's going on, and I think it's hard to wrap your head around it and I've been trying to wrap my head around it for many years, we've got no context, Brendan. So whilst there was a, a major flood, and we could talk about the fact that every religion has a major flood myth, it was also continent-wide wildfires. There was also earthquakes. There was also volcanoes. There was also upheaval on a scale that we have no understanding. Uh, 
And that is basically, we are the survivors of that race. Now, when we go, and obviously Graham Hancock posited this, Fingerprints of the God, back in 93, I think. He was the one that first posited the alternative history narrative. And back then they didn't have any history uh, or any evidence. There used to be, where's the evidence? Apart from the fact that there's giant triangles in Egypt, apart from the fact that there's 1,200-tonne stone blocks in Baalbek and every single megalithic society that exists around the planet. I mean, the other thing too, Brent, is I come at this from a point of logistics. That is what I do, and I've done that for 20 years. So when I look at stuff like uh, Baalbek, you have a look down here. Uh, I've got some Baalbek stuff. There's the uh, the stone of the pregnant woman, okay? That's one of the stones that's left in the quarry at Baalbek. Hey, now Triff, that, can you, can you, are you able to make that go full screen for us? Uh, yeah, can I? That's a good question. I'm hoping because it's quite small. How's that? Is that better? No, uh, uh, hasn't, hasn't changed. That might be you, mate. If you want to minimize me. Oh, hang on a sec. Because it's full screen on my end and I can't see you. Oh, that's weird. I can see what I can see is your, like, I can see your screen in general, but I can see all your pictures, like all the small versions of them. Oh, okay. All yeah. right, hang on. Hang on. This is, uh, so if we go, so do you, what do you see now? I just see you. Okay. So what if I go, what if I go like that? Ah, uh, boom. That's it. There you go. Yeah. Sorry, mate. I had, I had to specifically select it. Technology, eh? You've got to love it. <laughs> there you go. All right. Pick it up where you left off, man. So this is one of the stones. It's a Baalbek. Okay. So Baalbek sits on a bed of, I think, nine stones. Uh, and they're all bigger than this one. Okay. You're looking at about a, a stone that's about 1,200 ton there. Now, being in logistics, I understand what it takes to move something like that. And as it sits now, we don't have the ability to not only cut that stone perfectly, but then drag it up a hill and place nine of them on top of a hill, okay? And it's interesting that the Romans built a, a temple to the, the god of wine, the goddess of wine. It was to the wine gods anyway on Baalbek. They marched into the desert to build a temple to the wine gods when the Romans came and took over that part of the world. And it, a lot of this stuff that I, I think we need to understand as well with these megalithic sites is that they're built on... It's same as churches, right? They build churches on sites that were sacred to the civilization that came before, okay? So when you talk about, yeah, here's some more Baalbek stuff there. That one's not very, see if I can make that bigger. How's that? Is that, is that okay? Yeah, that's good. Yeah. So you can see there's one there and there's another one there. This is the quarry. The temple is up back behind you about 200 meters away. And we don't have the ability to do that now okay yet it was there well supposedly the romans did it however i would question that i would question that that. yeah um so that's balbeck right so that that's some of the evidence we're talking about i hear some of the other balbeck stuff okay so there's the stones you can see the roman columns on top and look i would probably say that if i was to hazard a guess that the romans have built all the stuff above the massive stones, okay? Mm-hmm. You know, the, I'm not going to take it away from the Romans. They were pretty good at what they did. 
However, oh, that's sacred grids. That's a different question. I'll stop share there, mate, because that's some other stuff. Um, but the other, so the big piece of evidence, because always, you know, Graham Hancock was lambasted for many years about the fact that there was no evidence of this advanced ancient civilization, despite the massive amount of megaliths that are around the planet. But in the, in the early 90s, a, a Turkish farmer was trying to move a stone in his field and he couldn't. And the stone had some funny carvings on it. Turns out he was looking at the top of a T-shaped pillar and it was basically this, the discovery of Gobekli Tepe. Now, Gobekli Tepe is, I think at the moment, I think they've uncovered six stone circles. They estimate there to be at least another 20 to 50, according to ground penetrating radar. And I, from, from, from memory, and this don't quote me on this one, but I'm pretty sure it's like 61 acres is the amount, is how big they think the site of Gobekli Tepe is, where multiple stone circles. Regardless of whether that number is correct or not, it's the biggest megalithic site on the planet. Now, if you were to think about, we go back to, where are we? I'll go back to share screen for a second. Uh, share that one. I mean, there is that. I mean, look, you, you've got to just look at the Great Pyramid of Giza. I mean, we could talk about that to the cows come home. However, we won't get there in a minute. This is an interesting one here. Before we get to go back to Tepe, we talk about the impact proxies. So this is the Younger Dryas boundary field. So what you're looking at here is all the impact proxies that they have found so far, okay? And you can add a big fat one in Greenland now as well. They've found a crater under the ice in Greenland that's about 32 kilometres across. Uh, initial, initial dating puts it around that 13,000 years ago. Uh, now... The dating hasn't been done correctly, so that's not one we can hang our hats on yet. However, initial indications suggest that it could be that that's the smoking gun, basically. That's the crater that everybody's been looking for. There's another diagram of the ice sheets. You can see the ice-free corridor, and that's apparently where everybody walked down, uh, apparently. Um, understanding, too, that in the, in the recent past that they've found... Settlements in America going back 60,000 years to 80,000 years now. Uh, so all the stuff that where we walked through the ice-free corridor and killed every single mammoth on the way, a lot of that's been blown out of the water. However, the narrative is still there. This is Gobekli Tepe. Precisely, this is Pillar 43. Before we get to Pillar 43, the thing about Gobekli Tepe that makes it very fascinating is you can see it's 3D relief carvings. So that means the carving is coming out of the rock as opposed to, you know, scratching your name in a rock that we've all done over the years. Now, the other thing is that it was buried, but it was buried on purpose, okay? So the reason we call it the Younger Dryas is there was a period of 12,800 to 11,600 years ago that was basically a mini ice age. And then... All of a sudden, 11,600 years ago, everything goes back to normal and con just randomly, uh, agriculture and horticulture starts in Turkey and that's basically where our history starts. All right? um, if you remember back when we were in primary school, 13,000 years ago, what we were taught, we were basically monkeys in loincloths and bats. That's basically what they told us. Um, so what we're looking at here is Pillar 43. 
and you can see there's some constellations there. This is a this is a star map. However, before we get to the star map, Gobekli Tepe was buried, and it was buried on purpose. Now, because I'm in logistics, how do you purposely bury a site that is tens of acres in size without a dump truck or a backhoe or a bucket for that for that matter? Right, that's a lot of dudes with handfuls of dirt. Right, okay. So everyone looks past the fact that this entire site was buried on purpose, and it seems to have been buried on purpose right before the whatever happened at the eleven thousand six hundred mark. Whether that so the, the the postulations there are that instead of um, meteorites hitting the Earth, they smashed into the ocean, and the condensation went up into the atmosphere and basically cleared the atmosphere and gave us a reset, okay? It was buried just before the last cataclysm, uh, which was 11,600 years ago. Now, this is Pillar 43 and Enclosure D. Now, I won't go into it in great detail. I did a podcast on it uh, not too long ago. It's one of the better ones where I had like 14 pages of notes just on this one pillar. Uh, to, to try and unpack it. And there was a, there's a guy out of Scotland. Uh, one of them is Sitrikis, and I can't remember the other guy's name. I remember the Greek guy's name because that's the wog in me. Uh, but there's a guy that they basically posited that it was a star map. And you can see here, obviously, the, the, the most common thing we can see is the scorpion there. And we can also see there's the bird, right? But you'd know about the handbags, wouldn't you, Brendan? The handbags that are represented all over the planet. Handbags. Yeah, the, 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 these bags at the top. See the square with the, the circle at the top, those three bags across there? Oh, yeah. Every single major continent on the planet, including Australia, and in fact the oldest representations of them are found here in Australia, hmm. every single continent has those handbags for some reason. Mm-hmm. Um, Graham Hancock seems to think it was a stash bag of some description. <laughs> no sounds one really about right. Yeah, sounds about right. But no one really knows. Uh, so you can see here that you've got Scorpio, you've got lupus, okay, there's a, there's, a, there's a dog in there somewhere. But basically all these animals represent different constellations. And you can see Cygnus there, the swan, right? That, uh, that circle there represents where the meteorite came from. This is a star map from 12,800 years ago. But it's not just 12,800 years ago. According to Sid Rickus in the study that they did, I can't remember the Scottish guy's name. I feel bad about that. That's okay. This star map lines up to four dates, mate. 20,000 years ago, 12,800 years ago, which is the time of the cataclysm, 4,000 years ago, and today. So the stars above Gobekli Tepe are very, very similar right now, if you could see it, but they put a big roof over it of course because you know you don't want something that's celestial aligned to be able to be seen <laughs> um but yeah so that the, the four dates that line up and, and the question that i posited about the, in the podcast was what if the most important date on that stone is actually today it's got nothing you know it's because again when we come back to the procession of the equinox with one degree being 72 years which is the average age of life uh human life expectancy um 
12,800 years ago is exactly half of the processional equinox ago. Yep. So, so we're, we're at the top of the circle. Okay, so if we were, if we were at the bottom, now we're at the top of the circle. So Gobekli Tepe is basically unequivocal proof that there was, I mean, you don't just, the, the stories that I've heard about this are, are mind-numbing. You know, you don't just, they say it was hunter-gatherers. Yeah, hunter-gatherers built 50 different stone circles, astrologically aligned, geographically aligned, and then they buried it just for shits and giggles um, when they didn't have agricultural housing. Something like that, and I think it needs to be said about a lot of this megalith stuff, mate, is that whilst I can see that slaves may have built some of it, I think a lot of it is craftsmen at the peak of their abilities and they're building it for a purpose. They're sending us a message that you don't carve, you know, we talked about in the last podcast, we had carving it into stone, you know, like you can't, there's a reason you carve something into stone. It lasts, right? If a cataclysm hit earth now, the only things that would be left would still be the Great Pyramid of Giza, would still be Baalbek, would be the stupid faces of, on Mount Rushmore, but not a whole lot after about 100 years. That's it. The stuff that is carved into stone will still be there. Everything else will be gone. So Gobekli Tepe is, is, the, is the, the pot shard. That's the unequivocal evidence that the mainstream archaeologists and anthropologists can't deny. Totally. However, when you look into it, archaeology as a region of study has only been around since the 1930s. That's the reality behind it. It's not like this grand old thing that's been going on for so long. You know, without the Rosetta Stone, of which I've got a copy of um, to, to my right there, we would still have no idea what hieroglyphs mean. It was only by chance that the Rosetta Stone fell loose and then it's got three different languages on it. And to this day, that's how we decipher hieroglyphs. And that was only in the 50s and 60s. You know, we can talk about the Gosford glyphs a little bit later, which, which play into that as well. I mean, we could talk about the Great Pyramid. I did uh, probably one of the best early podcasts. I actually looked back at it um, preparing for this the other day. It was episode 10. That's scary. Like that was 130 episodes, 20 episodes ago or something. Uh, however, it was, the, it was the best episode that we did. It was myself and uh, my mate Angus. We did one on Go Back um, on the Great Pyramid. And um, it... Uh, did that work there, mate? Did that? Have you got a? Yep, all good. All good. Okay, cool. I mean, here's there's the Great Pyramids there. You know, the the some of the evidence that some of your listeners might not be aware of is that there was a, a Japanese team and a German team that found a void in the Great Pyramid. There's a void somewhere in here that they're not sure about. It's basically the same size as the King's Chamber. You know, it's pretty much undeniable now that these. Uh, these pyramids are aligned to Orion's belt, okay? And there's two stories that echo through the megalithic societies, mate. And one of them is the Palladian story and one of them is the Orion story. And we'll come back to that a little bit later. That is the... So this is Leo. This is directly out of Graham Hancock's book, okay? And the fact that in the pre-dawn of the vernal equinox... That's the other thing too. All this megalith stuff is lined up to either equinoxes or solstices. Um, 
with the sun some 12 degrees below the horizon, the Great Sphinx sort of goes directly at his own celestial counterpart, the constellation of Leo, uh, which experienced what astronomers call a helical rising at this moment. So that means that the Sphinx is not, you know, that's BC, so that's prior to 13,000 years ago, could even be 26,000 years old, the Sphinx. And, you know, there's... Um, uh, there's uh, Mystery of the Sphinx that was a uh, done by John Anthony West. May he rest in peace. We lost an icon there. Uh, his work is invaluable. It's amazing that a lot of this work that is, is very easy to digest and makes a lot of sense is it really hinges on like five or six guys around the world um, that are that are basically giving the middle finger to mainstream archaeology and anthropology. Obviously, there's water erosion in the Sphinx. I don't think I've got any of the Sphinx stuff here. There's another, like, there's Gobekli Tepe. There's another uh, evidence. There's one circle, two circle, three circle, right? They're finding them everywhere. And you can see how deep it's buried there. Look at that. You can see how deep it's buried. And it's buried down to the base. I mean, look at some of these bases, mate. You know? Look at that. Like, that is a, a base sitting on a base sitting on a base. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And yeah, the evidence of that is 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 it's mind-boggling. If you sit back and actually think about it, it boggles the mind as to what was going on twelve thousand years ago or eleven thousand six hundred years ago. And are um, we any? Did you have you made any headway? Because uh, you mentioned it um, as far as finding out how they did actually bury this site. Oh, it's one of the questions, mate. So during the journey and unlocking the code. I see myself as a synthesizer of data. So basically I, I, I can bring a, one of my gifts is I bring a lot of data into my head and then I can make it make sense to other people without going into the great detail. But what I do is I look for holes. And one of the things they don't talk about is how did they bury it? Like, I mean, I, I spent 10 years in mining and construction and oil and gas. You know, you're talking about 300-ton dump trucks to try and move the amount of earth that we're talking about to try and bury this thing on purpose. And the way they know it's buried on purpose, and look, we could talk about the accuracy of carbon dating, for, but that's probably not for tonight. However, the carbon dating from the top, from, the, from basically the earth down to the base of these pillars is consistent. Um, so it was bar- all buried on purpose at the same time. Um, Very no, one, no one talks about it, mate. This, you know, I look for things that no one talks about, and that, that's one of the things that no one talks about. It, because, yeah, how deep, you, how deep under the soil were that? Like those bases you were pointing out, how deep would that be? It depends on where you're looking at. So it's um, Gobekli Tepe means the pot-bellied hill. So if you if you're digging at the top here, then you know, you're looking 10, 15 metres. But if you're digging around here, it's not that deep. It's, and because the site is so broad and so large, the depth of where down to the base of the, of the circles would vary. But it's not, it's not like two feet or three feet. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's significant. Some of these pillars uh, are between, they're between five and 20 tonnes. Like some of these pillars are huge. Um, you know, it's, it's next level. And obviously, Turkey's not a real uh, good tourist destination at the moment. 
and this and Gobekli Tepe is on the border of Syria and Iran, and it's not it's yeah you're not going to take your family there anytime soon, um, which is a shame because obviously with the conflict, the ongoing conflict in that region means the research would stop. And there was a German archaeologist, his name slips my mind right now, but he unfortunately passed away. He was the one leading the charge uh, with the excavation uh, up until a couple of years ago, but he unfortunately had a heart attack, passed away. There's another... It is a shame. Yeah, there's another picture. There's another look at uh, Pillar 43. And you can see here that it actually, it's all, it, it's all four sides. So it's on every side, there's carving. You can see there's just lines carved into here, mm -hmm. you know, on every side. Oh, that's Sakara. That's, uh, that's Sakara. We don't want to talk about that. This is something that's probably not as well known that we talked about Orion. So the Great Pyramids, yes. Teotihuacan in Mexico also lines up to Orion's belt. Yep. And there's a lot, there's a whole uh, a whole province in China that is nothing but earthen pyramids. There's hundreds and hundreds of them. Uh, and uh, Graham Hancock tells a story where he went to China to ask them about the pyramids and what they were for. And they basically said, Oh, we've got time. We don't, you know, we'll look at it when we're ready. But they're very old. No one really knows. But the Chinese are like that, you know. They're, they're, that's a, that's a civilization that we we understand little about. Uh, but we're circumnavigating the globe five hundred years before the Spanish were in boats four times the size of Spanish galleons, basically giving shit away. Uh, and then the current reign of emperors decided to close the borders five hundred years ago, and that's the China we deal with now. But prior to that, they were uh, they were a global globe-faring civilization in massive boats. Um, and I think when we look at this megalithic evidence and the stuff, it, it echoes everywhere. There isn't a continent on the globe or a, a piece of land on the globe that doesn't have some evidence, including the small Pacific islands to the north of us. There is, there is evidence of megalithic uh, societies all over. In fact, in Indonesia, there's still a province in Indonesia that makes megalithic stone faces and stuff to this day. They, they still do that to this day. Oh, there's something you might have seen before. That's Aussie Stonehenge, but we're not going to go there yet. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> something a lot of people don't know as well that I share with is that the Great Pyramid is eight-sided. It's not four-sided. Okay, you can see there's a line down the middle, and you can actually only see that at certain times of year. Now, we talk about the Great Pyramid for a second, because I think the the uh, the King's Chamber tombs coming up in this set of set of pictures that I've got. We've got to remember that each of the three pyramids was cased in limestone, mm -hmm. and it was polished to a high sheen. Now, if that is an eight sided pyramid, if you add the capstones to the eight sided pyramid, that angle would have been more prominent. Okay, you would have been able to see that. Now it was said that the capstone is the, you know, what the, the missing uh, capstone of the, the Great Pyramid. Uh, Matthew O'Reilly does a really good book with Jack West about that, <laughs> uh, but that's fantasy. But that was said to be a golden pyramid with a massive diamond or crystal in the top. Now, if you were to think about, and this is something else that I hadn't heard anywhere else. See, we, we, we've come up 
you know, in this in the refinery here, we've come up with a fair few original UTC ideas. Oh, original as far as I've never heard anyone else uh, posit them. The light would travel up that angle, hit the golden capstone at the top, and create a beam that would go straight up into the sky. If you, and that makes sense to me. The interesting thing about the capstones too, mate, is that there's no evidence of them anywhere. The story goes that they were an earthquake happened and shook a few loose and they built Cairo with them. But there's no evidence of polished limestone anywhere. Uh, it's also said in some of the earlier texts that they were covered in hieroglyphs, um, which you can only think what kind of job that was. You know, And you talk about the megalithic construction of the pyramid and you look into the, I think they say it took 20 years and there's something like, I'm, I'm pulling numbers, 2.3 million blocks weighing between five and 50 tonnes or 70 tonnes, some of the lintels. And the thing is, if you, we divided that out in that early podcast, and it was something like one block every minute for 20 years, 24 hours a day, 300, no fuck-ups, you can't make any mistakes. Every, every day, 20 years, every day. Can't make a single mistake ever, right? Dragging it up the uh, the, the mud ramps. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we won't talk. The mud ramp, the, the mud ramp would be bigger than the pyramid itself sure. to get to get get the top stone on. Like you, you'd be able to see the mud ramp in this photo would just go. <laughs> you, you couldn't even see where the mud ramp ended if that was the case, right? <laughs> um, the other interesting thing about the Great Pyramid is that there's mortar holding some of the blocks together and we we decided to do a deep dive on the mortar it's like oh this this will be interesting i wonder what 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 this is and no joke mate you 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 can search whatever search engine you want whatever piece of research you want to do throughout the entire internet there's one sentence about the mortar and it goes like this the mortar that is in between the great pyramid is of unknown composition is and he's still holding the blocks together today and cannot be replicated. Full stop. That's it. It's incredible that there's no further elaboration or, or just <laughs> at least an expression of astonishment or something. I mean, because that One is sentence. unbelievable. It is unbelievable. One sentence, mate. Yeah, actually, that the podcast that we did sort of went like, we we're going to do a podcast on the mortar, but this is the only sentence. Thanks very much. See you later. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, one sent. But this, and what's interesting about it too, Brennan, is that sentence is repeats itself. It's the same sentence in all the articles, in all the things. It's like verbatim, right? And that makes me question why it is verbatim the same sentence over and over and over again. Hundred uh, percent. We we might have a chat about some technology later, or what I think the technology. What is what was or could have been? Remembering this is my perspective only. Uh, we'll talk about that later. But yeah, the Great Pyramid itself—you could spend—and I haven't been there. Like it is on my list. Uh, once my daughters get a bit older, we're, we're going. Basically, it's there's there's no ifs, buts, or maybes. We're going. Um, and you know, you listen to guys like Ben from Uncharted X. He's excellent. He's been there a bunch of times. There's so many cool guys now that are embracing these stories and, 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 and looking at them. And I suppose from this little humble Aussie podcast uh, out of my shed, we're just trying to provide another perspective. Be objective, be observant, look at the streams of evidence and come up with what we think makes sense to us 
and and pick the holes. You know, like how did they bury Gobekli Tepe? How? I don't understand. Because as you, it, yeah, they didn't have yeah. a bucket. They didn't have a bucket. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, speaking, there's another another pillar forty three. You can see that I've done a lot of research on pillar forty three because the picture keeps coming up. Uh, another picture of Gobekli Tepe there. I mean, look at the. It's unbelievable. Right to, to, to look at the work that would have gone into that. And the thing is, you're not going to do... The other thing, too, that a lot of people don't talk about as far as Quebec and Tepe is concerned is what level of civilization do you need to be at for this to be a project? How much of geometry do you need to understand? How much of uh, constellations and star maps do you need to understand? How, much, how do you... Geography knowing where north is. How do you, you know, the level of science that goes into just putting one of these circles up as opposed to they're not real sure how many circles, people don't think about that. And the only way, the level of civilization you have to be at for this to be a project worth doing means food is taken care of, shelter is taken care of. Maslow's hierarchy of needs is well and truly all done. Yeah, you're not roaming around going, oh, when we're done with our 12 hours of putting carving stone, we've got to go find some berries. That's right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, we've got to go and hunt a, hunt an ibis or something. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> th there's no way that whoever built Gobekli Tepe was not already seriously established and understood mathematics, geometry, uh, astronomy, physics, you know, like, because, I mean, engineering, you don't just pick up a 20-tonne, pillar and place it on top you know like oh yeah what do you do yeah just grab that mate and just chuck it over there well how much weight? oh five times yeah she'll be right mate you know like how do you people don't look at this stuff deeper and, and ask these fairly yeah. simple questions just simple yeah. questions you know it's very fascinating that's one of the stones at uh balbeck as well there's there's a reference point there so there's a dude sitting on the cornerstone at Baalbek. And that stone is, you know, I think it finishes down there somewhere, right? Yeah, you, 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 I've got to, I'm sitting in a, a nine by six shed, so wider than my shed, twice as tall and as long as my driveway, longer than my driveway. And they put it on top of these other stones that was, and it was down a hill. It's not plausible, mate. Like, I don't... It, it, Again, I look at it from a point of view that I've literally moved stuff by air, sea, road, rail, dump trucks that, you know, dump trucks that run over Hiluxes and don't even feel it. I've moved those things on trucks and ships and stuff. I've moved big stuff. I know what it takes to do that. It's not plausible. Completely agree. How big, how heavy would you estimate? Do they, have they estimated that stone that you pointed out? How heavy are we talking they're between 900 and 1600 tons, depending on which one you look at, because they're all Insane. different. They're all different widths and lengths. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think they're cutting the stone as big as they can, but obviously also all stone has uh, different fail points and stuff. So I imagine at some point, but the other question is Brendan, and this is another thing they don't talk about. How did they cut it underneath? <laughs> If you're going to use, okay, if you accept that 
some stone chisels from the middle of nowhere came out and materialized into existence because uh, they didn't have iron back then either. Let's not think about that, okay? We had some dodgy bronze. That was about the best we could do. I think um, I, I really just, <laughs> when you raise that point, you know, all of a sudden you've got to figure out mentally, you know, you, automatically I find myself trying to like rotate this humongous slab of what, 1,600 tonnes in space. How do they, to, because you've got to get access to all sides of it to flatten them and, and shape it. And so yep. what, are the, what the hell technology does it take to do that? And was it something, and I suspect it was probably something either, and I thought it was very interesting that there was this idea advanced by a bloke who was very obscure, but he, he suggested the idea that back when they were doing this stuff, gravity itself was actually a weaker force um, on the planet at that time. And I thought that was a really interesting idea. I've never really followed up on it. Um, but yeah, if not there's... that, then maybe some sort of anti-gravity uh, anti technique or technology that, we know exists in certain circles. The Tibetans still have traces of it. Uh -huh. And um, that, that would seem to be the way that they could have maneuvered these things through the air because they're cer they certainly weren't doing it with ropes and pulleys and freaking logs and stuff like this. Uh, exactly. And Look, we can talk about that because considering you're open that wormhole, I think <laughs> that, and it is, it's not a rabbit hole, it's a wormhole. Um, yes, I think some sort of anti-gravity tech. I... I think harnessing, if we truly understood how to un, um, harness the uh, how to harness the magnetic properties of the Earth, I think there's something to be said in that. Um, there is a theory that, uh, yeah, the gravity may have changed. There is, but I think that it's to do. There's magnets, there's sound, light, and vibration. Okay. Uh, I think Tesla said if we understood sound and if you understood sound and light and vibration, we could harness the universe basically. But there is the anti-gravity tech that you can't deny now with obviously with the continued unveiling of the USOs and UFOs uh, being released by the Pentagon in bits and pieces. You know, that apparently in Egypt, they say that there was a magical lathe and that that lathe was the basis of all their technology. I mean, if we if we go back to the Great Pyramid, it sets uh, it sits on limestone, okay. Uh, and my mate who who helps me with the podcast every now and again, he used to build roads. And so the plus or minus, if you want to get a nice flat, so say you're making a lay down yard and you want it to be flat, <coughs> excuse me, plus or minus uh, twenty mils acceptable, okay? Oh no, yeah. I think roads, it's plus or minus 30. So that's three centimetres off flat is acceptable. I think that the Great Pyramid, I can't remember how what the actual square footage of it is, but what I do know is it is flat within five mil across the entire plateau, the whole yep. lot. We can, with the most advanced caterpillar excavator with laser GPS sharpened diamond blade and the and the and the gnarliest operator from the back of Burke that you've ever seen in the world could not do that today. We just couldn't. Yep. It, it it suggests some sort of laser light sound vibration technology, you know? Yeah. Uh, and one of when we, we you know we talked about the mortar before, one of the ideas that we played with is that if you are shaping blocks, because the thing about the Great Pyramid and the other pyramids as well, we don't talk about the other two as much. That's another thing too. So what about the other two? 
they're just as important, probably, you know, depending on how you look at it, more important. Um, it's just the big, we like the biggest, you know, everything's got to be the best and the biggest. Uh, but each block is individual. It's not like it's uniform. So each block was made to fit into that space. So if you have a, a laser, let's say, some sort of sound light laser, and you are shaping the blocks like a light, for want of a better description, a lightsaber with two handles on the end, right? Bzz, right? And you are melting the stone to a point. And we can talk about melted stone in South America if you like. But if you are melting the stone to a point and then you and then the last thing you do is you slice the ends and you butt it up against one another, maybe that mortar is actually the molecular breakdown of the stone mating up against each other, which is why it's of unknown composition, because it's broken down the mortar or broken down the, the granite to a point that it is molecular structure has changed and it might even be liquid. And interestingly enough, the guys at MIT, I think you can, they have actually cut granite with a laser and it's about 3,000 degrees. That's how much the laser had to get to, to drill through the granite. Um, well, no, it's, yeah. <coughs> the boys at MIT at, uh, at Boston are, are cutting granite with a laser, but granite boils or it liquefies at 3,000 degrees Celsius. So if you had something, if you had a laser that was 3,000 degrees Celsius, you could cut the end off, made it up against the other one. That means that end of the granite is in the liquefied state, join it together like glue. That, you know, it sounds crazy. However, explain to me another idea. You know what I mean? Explain to me what else it yeah. could be. It just gets exponentially more ludicrous from the point of view of trying to explain it in conventional terms because once you've explained that part of, part of it you've still got to move the thing in space and transport it and, and line it up and and then it's just there's no way that we could do it using publicly available technology no and you talk about the lintels in the king's chamber i think there's five of them across and they're on an angle and they're joined together but their ends are flat so they've cut something that's on an angle and had enough technology to cut it flat ends either end and I think they're each 50 tons and there's five of them and you can't get a, a piece of paper between them. Like, what are we actually talking about here? How can yeah. we, how can anyone look at that and go, it was a tomb. It was not a fucking tomb. I'm trying not to swear in this podcast. However, I can't <coughs> deal with that. Okay. What I did want to, what I did want to show you was because um, I've got a, a fresh, I'm just, give me a second, mate. I've just got to find the, is that there? Can you see that? Is that the King, King sarcophagus? Uh, it's not showing up big yet. Not showing up big yet. Okay. Give me a second. I'll stop share that. Go share screen. I'm learning all this stuff, mate. I'm learning. Learning on the fly. That's how we do it here. Keeping it real. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Mistake free all the time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> So what you're looking at there is the king's sarcophagus, okay? That's the sarcophagus in the king's chamber. We could look in the background and have a look how tightly all the joins are between the stones inside the king's chamber and marvel at that for a minute. However, that is red red or pink granite, as they describe it. That, that the, the king's sarcophagus, the box, we're just going to call it the box because it's not a sarcophagus, uh, is perfectly square inside. Now, I think 
of the numbers are in the in the Megalith Logistics podcast. However, it's something like ungodly a number of RPM that you need to drill because that's one piece, mate. That's not that's not something that's been put together. That's something that's yeah. been cut out from the inside. And yeah. in order to drill a core out, so how we would do it now is we drill core, 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 and then chisel it to make it pretty, right? There's no like, there's no evidence that it was some ungodly number of RPMs, water cooled drill, diamond drill bits, blah, 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 in order to actually achieve that today. Now, another unlocking the code theory, and this one, this one's a little bit out there, but we're already down the rabbit hole. So, is the Ark of the Covenant. Apart from what Indiana Jones did to it, we know that the Ark is a, it's in every, everything that is described is a power source of, of great untold measure. And theoretically, uh, you know, Moses stole it and, and escaped across the desert with the Ark. Okay. Now, and the Pharaoh chased him down for 40 days and 40 nights through the desert. And the Ark and a couple of other bits of technology provided them with sustenance between now and then. I posit, what if the Ark powered the Great Pyramid? Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Now, Let's go there. What, well, the, the, so I, I, from, it's hard to get measurements of the Ark, okay? In the texts that give measurements of the ark, which are very, very old, it would fit inside that box. Not with the handles, but the, the, the ark itself would fit inside that box. Okay. And understanding that the only thing that we know, the only bit of text, and it doesn't matter if you read it backwards, forwards, whatever way you want to read it, the Great Pyramid was designed to transmit consciousness from the earth to the stars. That's what it was. That's what its purpose was. Uh, Chris Dunn does a really good job. He he thinks it's a power plant, uh, and he goes into a lot of the, the engineering side of it. You know, some of these guys doing this work, it's it's next level stuff. However, what if, mate? Because the thing is, if you if you're so, let's say you know Moses escaped with the slaves and took off, right? Are you really going to chase? few thousand slaves across the desert for 40 days and 40 nights just because but if they've stolen the key piece of technology that helps run your civilization then yeah you're going to give chase yeah for a long time right if, if it was just normal slaves and what why would you do that i don't know you know it, it doesn't make sense but if they had the ark and the ark was key then maybe yeah absolutely uh, theoretically, the Ark is in Cambodia somewhere. That's uh, in a church in Cambodia where priests, priests look after it and they wear heavy metal chains because the Ark is known to be radioactive. Uh, and these, these priests die from like a radioactive sickness, but no one's allowed in to see it, wow. apparently. So, yeah. There she is in all her glory. Yeah, the other thing is too, mate, what you've got to understand about the Great Pyramid is that underneath there, they dug, like the Queen's Chambers underneath the ground. It's 70 metres, they dug through the limestone. So did they do that first or they do that after? Like how, and how do you just cut perfectly square tunnels into limestone? 
Yeah. Again, with with no tools. Mind-boggling. Um, no matter which way you slice it, it's just absolutely mind-boggling. Yeah. So there's a there's another uh, another look at the king's chamber. Yep. Look look at the size of the slabs on the floor, but also polygonal masonry. They curve up. That's a corner piece. Look at that. All right. So that's not that actually that piece looks like it's not two pieces. That's one piece. Mm-hmm. So that's a right angled piece. You know, you can't even uh, begin to understand it. This is something that I haven't looked into, but I did want to share with you. Ah, I think I know what you get where you're going here. So that's China, that's South America, that's Egypt, that's Orion's belt across the globe. Now that's not something that I've looked into. I don't have any uh, any more evidence, but it's not the first time I've seen that. Um, that the representation of Orion's belt maybe on a global scale, mm. as opposed to. Um, as opposed to just the, but and these three sites—that's Teotihuacan, Egypt, and Xi'an Province, where the three main representations are. So, mate, did you want to talk about anything else um, before we move on? To oh, actually, there you go. There's there's some of the water erosion around the Sphinx. Understanding that the last time it rained there was over 10,000 years ago. And I think for us Aussies, because we've dealt with erosion our entire lives in our clay-based soil, we've seen that kind of erosion in creek beds a thousand times. There's no no questioning that that's water. You know, it's, it's not even, to me, it's not even a question. You know, growing up in central Victoria with all the clay base there, you get a big storm come through and all the creek beds look like that. They all look like that. That's how, that's how it looks. You know, and uh, the the Sphinx. I mean, I don't know if you want to go there, but yeah, we can uh, go there. Where do you stand on the Where do you stand on the on the Sphinx's head and the uh, fact that it's pointing towards Leo? That it may have been a, the whole thing was probably a lion. I think the whole thing was a lion. To be perfectly honest, at one point in time, like you can see there from the picture that the head does not match the body. Um, Very there, is, there is the uh, mystery of the Sphinx as well. It's a it's a great. Uh, DVD. I've actually got two copies of it. I found them in an op shop. Uh, huh. And I've watched them about three or four times each. And within, and look, there's there's a couple of different things about the Sphinx. Number one is the face of the Sphinx does not match the face of the pharaoh that supposedly did it. Okay? Because the thing about Egyptians is they didn't mess up a face, Right? The, the statues of certain pharaohs are exactly the same, doesn't matter which way you look at it, almost like they had some sort of 3D printer, okay? However, the other side of it is, is obviously the nose is missing and the crown is missing off the Sphinx as well. It's said to have a serpent crown on top, okay? Um, look, there's some interesting stuff there. There's, uh, so you talked, you just said Leo, do you know who named the star signs? Uh, refresh me. <laughs> no one does. No one knows who named the star signs the star signs. It is just what it is. So Leo, yeah. so Scorpio, Pisces, no one knows. No one actually knows who named those star signs. It's just been the way it has been. Um, for as long as we know. For as long as we know. 
There is a, and look, and it's not just that nose on the Sphinx that has been knocked off. There is a range of noses all over Egypt that have been chipped off. Uh, and there's a line of thinking that it may be the nose of an Indigenous Australian as opposed to anything else. It may be a different type of nose, not, and that's the reason that it is, uh, there's all the noses chipped off. Because the Egyptians did talk of a great people to the south with great knowledge. Okay. Yep. Well, uh, and, and that that, uh, that opens up some other interesting discussions about carry-on and what have you. I don't know if you want to go there if we have time, but um, there was definitely a link. And um, I think it was actually, I learned this from the Strongs, um, Steve and Evan, who are friends of mine, and that they pointed out that as far as recently as the 1930s, it was actually public knowledge that the Egyptians had been sailing out to Australia as recently as 400 years ago yep. to learn from the originals. Yes, yes, absolutely. Uh, absolutely, mate, absolutely. So we'll just, let's have a, um, I'll, I'll minimise that. Let's, let's come home. Let's come home. There's more That's information good. on that. There's more information on that. So you can see there. Uh, the also, also the one that is the, the other one that I've seen is that the modern microchip is actually in the shape of Orion's belt. We might be reaching a little bit there, but, you know, <laughs> uh, there you go. So what we have here is a visual representation that was done by Richard Patterson. Uh, that is what is being dubbed and made that I'm doing some work with Richard uh, behind the scenes. He was the one that found the original documents that were the survey documents of that site uh, at the Historical Society in Mullumbimby uh, originally okay. back in 2014. Uh, the Strong Boys did assist with some exploration and stuff like that, and they've done a few articles on it, but Richard was the guy who originally found the documentation. And, and I've actually I've had been privy to the documents, and they're amazing. Like, I, I wish I could take a week off and just read them and then read them again and read them again and read them again. What you're looking at there is, is a representation of, of, of what would be Australia's Stonehenge. Um, this is some of the stones that they found at the Stonehenge site. This is from the Strong Boys. <coughs> this is some of the digging that they did at the site, the Strong Boys, um, some of the stuff that they found. Um, it's too, it, too much detail for tonight, but um, let's go back because there's a better picture. Where did we go? Oh, there, there's some of the some of the detail of the crater in Greenland, mate. That may be the smoking gun of the meteorite hitting. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. What's some the, of the. What can you tell us about it? It's it's basically it's 32 kilometers wide. Uh, it's hidden under ice, and it's only through lidar that we've been able to find it. So laser infrared detection and radar. It's a new type of technology um, that has also opened up in South America. So they, they've gone over Greenland, found that. But they also estimate that they've found in South America, once upon a time, they said between maybe two and four million people inhabited South America in the megalithic societies, Aztec, Inca, Olmec. 
they now, on mine, I should add in there too, they now estimate that at one time there was up to 110 million people that inhabited South America. Based on the, and they found highways with using LIDAR that are 20 plus kilometres long, dead straight, by the way. Um, so, you know, what does it take to be able to do that? Um, and they didn't have cars or oxen or anything. There's a good picture of the crater. So that's the LIDAR image of the crater in Greenland. Yeah. And basically they're saying that there's a tip there, which is interesting because some meteorites, when they hit, they actually they form this tip. And you can see some of that through uh, when you look through a telescope uh, at the moon. There's another picture okay. of, the, of the crater there. Okay, but that's all underneath ice at the moment. We can talk about ice too if you want, but um... let's uh, let's touch on it. If you if it's definitely if it's germane, let's go there. So ice or global warming. Okay, let's not. Um... <laughs> so. One line of research that I haven't I haven't done the podcast on this, but I've got about 30 pages of notes on it. Uh, I haven't got any of this stuff here, but basically what I've come to understand is that the ice chases the poles. The ice chases the magnetic poles. So currently the South Pole is moving east, okay? So if you look at where Australia is, where the Antarctica is, it's moving east of us, Okay. Uh, and it's, it's, it's also currently marching into Siberia at a fairly accelerated rate. Now, yes, the ice is breaking on the other side of Antarctica. Yes, it is. That is happening. It is melting. It is breaking. But where the pole is moving is unprecedented ice growth. Ice chases the magnetic poles. Okay, it's the same in the Northern Hemisphere. And that... Obviously, me saying that means I'm a climate change denier, so that doesn't get any press. I'm pretty <coughs> sure that I'm pretty sure that makes you a Nazi um, and white supremacist. So I'm afraid I can't have you back. <laughs> That's it. We're over. That's it. No, we're not. We're not doing it anymore. Um, <laughs> yeah. So my research says that the ice chased the poles, or the ice does chase the poles, and if you look at where. So, you know, the equator is the hottest part of the world, okay? Because the Earth sits on an angle, where the sunlight hits us in the middle is not actually where the equator is. So it's got nothing to do with the sunlight. It's got to do with where the magnetic field meets and is actually less. That is where it's hottest because the, the ionosphere that is protecting us from the UV rays is at its shallowest there. Now, because of where the poles are now situated on our planet, yes, that is around the middle. But it is fairly common knowledge now that the poles shift, okay, and have been shifting for quite a while and may be currently shifting. I mean, that's one of the, the, the next things is, oh, the poles are going to flip on us and something's going to happen. Um, I think there's evidence in tree rings in Japan that it happened uh, I'm not sure. Numbers not coming to me, but there is there is a tree in Japan, an ancient tree in Japan that has evidence of pole shift. So let's pretend for a second that, or let's let's pretend a few. We're gonna we're gonna go into a fairyland. We're gonna pretend for a second that the geologist 
understanding of what the earth looks like with the crust and the magma and the lava and then the, the layers and then the big metal liquid ball in the middle is what it is. Okay. Because that's not actually true. That is just an educated guess. Um, that's not actually, there's no evidence. There's no one's drilled deeper than 26 kilometers into the earth. And at that point they didn't get into the hot red shit. So they don't actually know what is there. So we'll leave that alone, but let's pretend that that's the case. All right. And there's a, there's a, there's a, a molten metal ball at our core that's spinning and generating magnetism, but that, that ball can spin and can move as it has currently been moving for the last hundred years, 200 years that we've been measuring it. What if to say, so what if the pole, because as you would know, in Antarctica, as the ice melts, they're revealing trees and growth. So at some point, Antarctica was free of ice. So what if the pole, just for shits and giggles, was, so say where Australia is, what if the pole was underneath the earth and the pole, like think about the ice sheet, mate. I would say, and this is, this is where it all sort of came about, like that Laurentide ice sheet that I showed you, that's a fuckload of ice, man. I reckon the North Pole was somewhere there. So if you put the North Pole there, then you, then you spin it around and get the, the South Pole um, on the other side. It puts it somewhere in the ocean off Antarctica, which would then shift, but that would then shift the weather patterns as well, Brendan, okay? Because the reason it rains at the equator is because that's where the mag magnetosphere is at the least. That's where the, that's the heat and everything builds up through the ocean. So what if the magnetic pole shifting, that would leave Antarctica free of ice? What that would also do is would probably put the inland sea in Australia because Australia would be tropical because that is where mm. the magnetosphere would be least effective. You following me what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, um, it's, it's, it's look, that... As I say, I've got a fair bit of uh, evidence on that, but it's not something that's probably the first time on the podcast that I've actually gone into detail in that. Um, but it's fascinating, mate. It's very fascinating. But let's say the impacts too. So multiple impacts, bang, 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 bang. Melt that ice. What if that shook the poles? What if that shook, you know, the vibration that that has through the planet into the core? You know, they, they, they estimate that with the, the dinosaur impact that the earth rang like a bell for a million years because of the, the level of that impact. So each time that happens, what if that messes with the core and it spins it around? You know, like these things need to be questioned. But I, and look, I'm not, just for the record, I'm not saying that humans aren't contributing to the destruction of the planet. We are fucking it on an, in an unprecedented yep. rate. However, to pretend that this earth doesn't go through its own cycles, doesn't go through its own, it's got its own thing to do, right? Mother Nature will kick our ass if she chooses to. Um, but yeah, yeah, that, the, the yeah, what you're saying, what you're saying, yeah, I agree. And the, the human, human output of whatever human activity in general doesn't have anything to do with the shifting of the poles and the shifting of the poles is what's generating climate change yes. and catastrophic climate change. So that's got nothing to do with us. Uh, yeah. we're just, like you said, yeah. we're, we're doing lots of other stupid stuff and destructive things, but we're not changing climate. Right. Um, that's part right. of the solar system, the, <laughs> the galactic uh, dynamics 
of the electric universe, um, the, the electric charge that gets exchanged between solar systems. And, I mean, the whole integrated networks set up here, like there are, as I say, there are no islands in an electric universe. So it's not even um, that it's generated, that weather patterns are generated on the planet that you're focusing on, like we focus on Earth because we live here. It doesn't mm. even get generated here. It's part of a, a massive, massive tapestry that yeah. we, we are only just starting to realise. So anyway, sorry, I interrupted there. No, no, totally fine, mate. I think it, it, one of the things the research that I've done points to is that we, we, we must understand that we are part of a galactic uh, framework. You know, you, you want to go electric universe, you want to go multi-dimensions, you want to go strings, you want to, whichever way it goes, and I'm not really, I find all of them entertaining and plausible in their own ways, regardless of whichever one it is, we are part of a galactic neighbourhood and we don't, <coughs> we don't honour that. We don't actually understand that because, you know, you talk about electricity. Electricity has taken away our ability to observe the stars, you know. Um, one of the things that working in the middle of nowhere gives you, mate, is, is perspective. You know, when, when it's literally you and two other blokes or three other blokes and there's no one else for 300 k's in any direction, and the sun goes down and you turn the lights off and you look up and there's the Milky Way in all its bloody glory. You're like, holy shit, we are nothing. Yeah. You know, we are, we, there, there is so much. But, yeah, the, the, the magnetic poles affect the weather. And I think that at one point that ice sheet that was over North America was where the pole was. And if you do that, slip it underneath, Antarctica is now free of ice or at least the, the side closest to Australia and majority of that maybe would have been free of ice. Uh, I've actually got a, a small globe in here somewhere where I've actually drawn it to, to try and give me some sort of reference point. It's fascinating yep. stuff, mate. It's fascinating stuff. So we'll, we'll move towards the end. So there's, there's, I'll, I'll give you uh, three choices, four choices. Before we go to Australia, would you like to go to Atlantis? Oh, I've always wanted to go to Atlantis. Well, we can, mate, if you really want to. We just need to – most of it's underwater now. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Atlantis. We – let's do it. <clears throat> most of what we understand about Atlantis come well, – all of what we understand about Atlantis comes from uh, Plato, okay, and, and his – his writings of Atlantis. However, what he does in those writings, and look, I am shortcutting about 30 hours worth of Randall Carlson and the Serpent Brothers podcast. He's got a podcast called Cosmographia, and he goes into like seriously 30 hours or so of explaining why Atlantis is where it is if you take Plato seriously. Um, and there's no reason not to take Plato seriously. He was right about a lot of stuff. Um, interestingly enough, we go back to the ice sheet. Okay. We go back to the ice sheet and we go to, give me a second, learning on the fly here again, zero mistakes all the time. Uh, <laughs> give me a second. Okay. So there's the ice sheet just for shits and giggles. Remembering that at, some, at, at points in that ice sheet, it is two miles deep. I want you to try and fathom the weight of that for a second. 
it's in the trillions of tons. Mm -hmm. Remembering that a trillion is a billion billions. Okay. Um, that's a that big fucking number. Okay. It's hard to try and wrap your head around. <laughs> so give me a second. No, I'm going to, I'm hang on a sec, mate. Zero mistakes, zero mistakes. Here we go. 100% guaranteed every night. That's it. <laughs> Just give me a second, mate. Let me find the one I'm looking for. Uh, uh, okay. Tectonic plates. That's what I want. Did that come through? Yeah, actually, there we go. Uh, Not yet. Not yet. It's okay. Not yet. Zero mistakes. Zero mistakes. <laughs> if we keep saying it, it's true. <laughs> Absolutely. We just keep saying it's true. Okay. They are the tectonic plates as we understand them on the planet right now. Okay. We can see here, this is the Atlantic Ocean. Just say that word for me. Atlantic Ocean. Do you know who named? Do you know who named the Atlantic Ocean? No, I don't. No one does. It's always been the Atlantic Ocean. Hmm. Take the C and add an S for me. Atlantis. Okay. Mm -hmm. So let's think. <coughs> so the ice sheet is here over Canada and North America. I'm going to use your ass in this next example, okay? Because your ass is creating what they call isostatic depression. Okay, oh, the, sorry. sorry about that. <laughs> the weight of your ass is pushing down that cushion, lovely cushion seat you've got there. Mm -hmm. But when you get up, well, you probably sit there a lot. Your ass print might be there, but it, it rebounds to a certain point, okay? So if we were to say that if Atlantis existed in the Atlantic, because that doesn't make any sense whatsoever, okay? So here we are. Big, massive bit of ice over this, remembering that the tectonic plate basically runs through there, okay? So if there is trillions of tonnes of ice on that tectonic plate on this side of the plate, that is then creating – I'll just stop share. That is then creating a – like that, okay? Mm -hmm. So the other end of that plate, which exists in the Atlantic Ocean, would have been above mm – -hmm water mm -hmm. okay now what is here now <coughs> excuse me mate the azores plateau okay now off the coast of spain so it's, it's up here actually it's up here somewhere so basically plato said that through the pillars of uh of heracles which is here due west you found Atlantis, okay? And again, the, the tectonic plate goes through there. So when the meteorites, remember, bang, 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 into that ice sheet, not only did it melt them and raise the sea level 400 feet in a matter of two weeks, it also released all the weight off that tectonic plate. So then the plate that was like this now goes like that. Yeah. What's the story of Atlantis? It sunk beneath the waves very fast <coughs> very quickly yeah um yeah 
And if you go to the Azores Plateau now, they're doing a lot of underwater archaeology. And to put it into perspective about how much, um, how much land is now underwater that once wasn't prior to the last cataclysm, it's 10,000, oh, total, 10 million square kilometres. was above water 13,000 years ago that is no longer above water. And the other thing to that that's too, a it, that's yeah. a lot. That's a lot. The other thing too is, mate, what, where are all our cities? Where are all our cities now in this great, awesome civilization? Oh, on usually on the coast. On the coastline, yeah. For uh, mm. just, just for less vulnerable. Yeah. So, and just for to put it into perspective, a twelve-meter tidal wave. <coughs> excuse me. If it hit the Gold Coast, would wipe out the Gold Coast and brush up against Mount Tamarine. Now, four hundred mm. feet is about one hundred and thirty meters, give or take. To put that into perspective. Um, so the underwater archaeology is revealing on the Azores Plateau, stone circles, theoretically a pyramid, can neither confirm nor deny that one, um, but there is stone circles under the water. And the Azores Plateau now, it's common knowledge that they are tips of what were once islands. Hmm. So, yeah, we could go to Atlantis, man. I actually want to go to Egypt and then go oh. via, I want to go via the Azores on the way back. Uh, when we both All become, right, well, I'm down with that. That sounds like a good trip. Well, that, that's what I'm saying, man. When we both become super successful podcasters, what we do is we get all the we get we get the posse together. We get we get we get all the girls and the kids and the posse, and we just go on a, on a global megalithic. I've got I've got plans, man. I haven't got any resources, but I've got plans. <laughs> <laughs> I got dreams. <laughs> yeah, I got dreams, man. So yeah, I want to get more into Atlantis there, but geographically, that's where Plato said it was. And there is echoes of a megalithic civilization and the underwater archaeology that is ongoing is continuing to unravel that puzzle. Extremely interesting. Yeah, I'd be interested to hear the updates as they unfold, mate. Yeah, well, I, as I say, I, I, I'm so deep down this rabbit hole, I've got no flashlight and I don't even know where I am anymore. Um, so we ticked off Atlantis. I wanted to share something with you. So we could go, we could have a quick chat about Stonehenge, uh, Gimpy Pyramid if you want to go there. Uh, we could have a quick chat about Carry On. Um, unfortunately, they, they're going to try and turn Carry On into a housing estate. Look, the Strong Boys do a really good presentation on Carry On, and I can do it pretty in a nutshell. Again, the ability to synthesize data. Understanding that the Rosetta Stone and our understanding of hieroglyphs, excuse me, didn't actually come to pass until the 50s. The story of Carry On was it was some World War II veteran who decided to just write a random story in the glyphs, in the rocks, uh, after World War I. But we didn't understand what hieroglyphs meant until after World War II. Uh, and, there, and you dig into that story... And it's like, who did it? Oh, you know, old mate, you know, Jono, Jono's son, you know, butcher, fella, he did it. No one knows. It's bullshit, basically. Um, however, the Stonehenge, the, the Australia Stonehenge, and look, that name may change in the near future. As I say, I'm doing some work with Richard behind the scenes uh, here. 
He's become a pretty close friend of mine. Uh, he's actually in your neck of the woods, man. He's a very interesting guy. Uh, maybe if whenever I, if I can get down there, we might uh, go and have a coffee or something like that. It's uh, sounds good. Yeah. Um, he was the one that found the original documents. He's put a book together. Uh, I'll plug it. Look at Australia Stonehenge on Facebook. Uh, it's not a big book. It's about eighty or ninety pages with pictures and and his theory and his understanding of what he thinks it is. However. What did it? What the echoes of it are is um, we may life. How do how do you put this without um, basically? This is where it may have began. Okay, and I know, I know you're aware of that because obviously you know Stephen and Evan are, are good friends of yours. Uh, there's a better actually. There's a better. That was the one I was looking for. There's the better understanding of the plates. Okay, yep. There's 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 the, the Pillars of Hercules. Right. And we could talk about the statue of Hercules that the foot they've got the foot. I think they found the foot, and the foot's like fifteen meters by eight meters, and that's the foot. That's not the you know what I mean? Like then extrapolate from there. Um <laughs> it's just, wow. it's just my it's a exactly. Um oh yeah, that that's probably the better rendition of it. There's some more that you'll be able to find. So this is basically a computer rendering of what is now at, at the moment known as the Australian Stonehenge site that was outside of Mullumbimby. Uh, the thing about Mullumbimby and Byron and that whole area there, if you open your eyes and widen your gaze, you'll suddenly find standing stones everywhere along there. They're all over the place. In fact, as you drive into Mullumbimby, the roundabout is nothing but standing stones, okay? And Richard did an investigation as to why they're there and the the, 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 the local government or whatever it is, oh, they were, we found those and we thought they'd look cool, so we just thought we'd put them on the entrance to my own member. There's, there's, there's <laughs> actually, and you would know the uh, the mock stone henge that's down there, the, the guy that built um, a mock stone henge. I know of it. I think, I don't know if I've been there. Yeah, there's a guy that built a mock Stonehenge and Richard went to talk to him to see why he built a Stonehenge. And he goes, oh, I just thought it was a good idea. And Richard goes, where did you get the stones from? He goes, oh, they were already here. So that guy has built a Stonehenge out of stones that were possibly already a fucking Stonehenge, right? <laughs> okay? Um, this boggles the mind, mate. But what you're looking at there, you might notice this symbol here, but the Celtic cross, medicine wheel, uh, that is another symbol that echoes around the globe. There's a family of about 30 to 40 symbols that they find in rock art, in megaliths, in engraving, in, in all sorts of stuff that are exactly the same all around the globe. And long story short, because uh, I've done a few podcasts on this, the guys can look it up. Australia Stonehenge and Richard Patterson. There's a few in the in the back catalogue. Potentially, the the original people here may have been the keepers of a spiritual knowledge, um, and people from all over the globe may have come to actually learn from the indigenous people. And what you see here is is a transition. You would start at one end, and you would go to the other. And along the way, there would be points where 
an elder would initiate you or something would happen. And one of the more interesting things that I want to try and um, go and meet this guy, there's a guy down there that Richard got in contact with who has a crystal that when you shine light through it, uh, puts a, a landscape picture on the wall. Hmm. Um, and the original writings uh, as part of the documentation talk a lot about crystal. And it's interesting that, and the indigenous traded in crystal. That's not, that's, that, that is also a known thing. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting that what is down at Mullumbimby, that is the largest in the world, the crystal, what's it called? The, the, um, Crystal Castle. Crystal Castle, yeah. Right? That's got some of the biggest crystals in the world. And just by chance, it's in the, in the exact place where the originals used to trade in crystal. Okay? Yeah. They didn't care much for the yellow rock, the gold, but they loved the crystal. Because, and look, we could talk about that as well. Maybe not tonight. However, this would be an initiation ceremony. What I've learned through studying the documents is this is only one set of stones. If you were to believe the survey documents, understanding that this site stood until 1946 before it was bulldozed. Yeah. Um, This was was only one of the sites. There was actually up to seven different stone arrangements on the site, Uh, not just the one. There was a major one, but surrounding it, there was different other stone arrangements. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you and you sort of tie it, so let's say the Egyptians came here to learn, remembering the Egyptians talked about a great land to the south. Also, the the carry on glyphs tell a story of uh, Egyptians that basically ran aground in their ship, and basically one of them got bitten by a snake. We've got a fair few snakes around here, and they died, and they were buried somewhere. That is the basic story of the carry on glyphs. Um, yeah. Yeah. Also, using hieroglyphs, the interesting thing about that is the set of hieroglyphs are a very old set of hieroglyphs. They're not the new hieroglyphs; they're old hieroglyphs. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I've heard uh, I've heard Stephen Evan refer to them as Proto Egyptian. Some of yeah, them that old. Yeah, Proto Egyptian. That's the one. Yeah. I actually had a picture that I wanted to share with you, but I won't. Uh, I'm not going to probably. It'll take too long to get it for tonight. But look, there's a fair bit of consternation depending on which Facebook groups you follow about the Gimpy Pyramid at the moment. Uh, I spent, I went up there on four different occasions uh, with some of the Kabi people up there. I've also been there on another three separate occasions without them to investigate that site. It's fascinating. Uh, what's more fascinating is the polygonal masonry that is around the church. Um, have you seen some of that? I'm not sure that I have actually. Yeah, give me a second, mate. I'll, I'll bring some up for you. Uh, so this is probably one of the more interesting things that I've found on the site. I'm calling this the preparation stone. Mm-hmm. Um because there is a, a and it's this isn't something that is just here in Australia, but there is an alchemist view that if you combine certain plants, it makes an acid that could cut stone. Okay. Okay. I don't know what those plants are because if I did, I'd be 
playing with it <laughs> if you're trying to cut the concrete in the backyard. However, um, this, I think, is evidence for that, okay? Because that's, that, that's my hatchet that I take with me on field trips as a, as a size reference. But you can see, I'll go, so this here, right, you can see that something has been prepared here, some sort of liquid or something. And if you look at it there, if we just, I can, you can see the lines where it's actually worn away the stone. Can you see that in the picture? Yeah. So I think that is where they would have prepared the mixture, okay? You can see here there's drag marks where they may have sharpened a tool of some kind, okay? Uh, this big picture of the, of the of the drag marks. You can actually see there it's like that. I cleaned it up as best I can, but you can see where it's been dragged through, okay, to sort of sharpen a, a, a tool of some kind. And you can see here, that's where they did the test cut. Maybe. This is all speculation, okay? But that is... Um, that's probably the more interesting thing that I found, one of the more interesting things I found on my trips to Gympie. Yeah. Um, that sandstone was interesting. It was out of place. That was out of place. It was just there. Like, that's not from around there. Okay. Um, yeah. Oh, there you go. See, wannabe photographer. Um, two, two butterflies there. What species are they, man? Don't know. Blue ones, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, actually, hang on a second. Where are we? That's one of my favorite shots. Look at that. Caught him in the air. Ah, love it. Yeah, man. Oh, look, I, I, I do enjoy taking photos. However, the emergence of Instagram and everyone having a 20 megapixel camera in their pocket, uh, I, I gave away my photography dreams because what's the point? <laughs> That's a bit sad, mate, but you, you're doing well in the archaeological realm. <laughs> right. Uh, so I'll just fast forward here, butterflies. What I did here, actually see all these pictures of random stones. I have an app on my phone called the D-Stretch app, which basically if there was any pigment on these stones, it draws the pigment out of the stone. Oh. It's quite fascinating. And that's why I took a lot of these pictures to see if there was any carvings or drawings that may have been on any of these stones. Um, polygonal masonry. Okay, this is the more interesting stuff here. It's here at Gimpy. Now, the story goes... And believe me, it's only a story. The story goes that this wall was taken from the site at the Gimby Pyramid, uh, was moved from there, and then in the 1930s was used as a Depression-era project to surround the church, okay? Uh, the four guys that I went on the expedition with uh, to Gimby, the last field trip that was fairly disillusioning, have said their 10 cents worth. And those podcasts are Unfortunate Truths, that's my wife uh, interviewed me on that one, and then Unfortunate Truths 2 and The Musings of Madmen uh, is where we, we ended up. The, that's all the guys that are on that last field trip have put their 10 cents in, but I'll, I'll give a proceed version here tonight. Some of the polygonal masonry is quite interesting. Uh, that's the money shot there. Mm-hmm. That piece there, this one here. Lovely. Um, it's very, very interesting. But there's there's two or three different type, there's two or three different versions of it. You're looking at the good stuff there. There's another pretty impressive piece here, uh, going around the corner. And again, so like a little edge cut out there. 
it's it is fairly impressive polygonal masonry. This is the good stuff. But as we go along, I mean, this stuff, remembering that it's been moved once or twice or three times, depending on which story you believe. Um, but, I mean, you know, this piece here made for one, two, three, four, five pieces. Mm. Uh, about here, so this is still some of the better stuff, but around here is where it sort of starts. The quality goes down. That one's interesting, like that square block to set up these five stones with that little mm. one in the middle. Understanding that these stones, Brendan, they're about, 500 mil, 50 centimetres wide. So that stone is 500 long, okay? It goes all the way through to the other side. Sure. Okay? But then the quality starts to go down a little bit. Some of this stuff, I think, is better quality. Uh, but as it goes around the corner, this stuff, it's starting to get a bit lesser, okay? It almost seems like someone was taught how to do it and they were trying to catch up, okay? Yeah. So, long story short, my theory on Gimpy is, well, there's one thing. There's, there was gold from Gimpy found in the tomb of Tutankhamun. Okay. They know that because every single piece of gold has a DNA signature. And if we were to, to play that game, okay, so let's pretend the Egyptians came here to learn the potentially the South Americans came here to learn. South Americans love their gold, okay? And there was known to be alluvial gold, which is just nuggets sitting on the ground as, as late as the 1900s, okay? Um, so let's pretend for a second that that wall from the church, and look, there's a whole heap of consternation that I don't want to go into tonight. However, at some point, if I feel like going back there at the moment, I don't. However, if I do, I may measure the wall and try and put it onto the site. I don't know whether it fits, Brendan, if I'm honest, mate. But let's pretend that it does fit onto the site somewhere. I think, and to go back to a global perspective of megalithic stuff, I think the time frame that we play with is we've got it wrong. I think a lot of stuff is older than we understand, and some stuff may be a lot younger than we understand. I think there's two ways, but I think the time frame on either way is, is very um, out of whack. And I think maybe that the Gimby Pyramid site, uh, understanding that there was a step pyramid in Tinkan Bay, that uh, very, uh, very heavy rumours around that, that that was bulldozed in World War II to make an airfield, um, taking that into account and then taking the Gimby Pyramid site into account. Maybe once upon a time, the South Americans came here and showed the local Indigenous how to do some polygonal masonry, maybe even built them a shrine, a step pyramid as a, as a, as a, as a healing centre or as a appreciation or, or a gift or something. Um, and then that has now deteriorated over time. Uh, is it a sacred Indigenous site? Yes, to a point. Uh, however, I think it goes back much, much further than that and further than we actually truly understand. What's left there now? Not much, mate. Not much. And the land is taking it back um, every single day. At the moment, the main roads are putting a highway. It needs to be said, putting a highway around it, not through it at all. Okay. Awesome. 
Um, and you can see, yeah, there's, as I say, there's some consternation going on on the on Fedbook at the moment. <laughs> it's interesting to observe. However, what's been done has been done. Where I want to finish is an alternate origin story. Okay. If we were, so we're going to finish on a very woo-woo tact here, mate. I like that. I like woo-woo. Let's do it. Okay. So if Homo sapiens sapiens were made for this planet and evolved specifically for this planet, number one, we'd be able to swim better. End of story. Okay. On a planet that is two-thirds water, we can't swim for shit. Okay. If we actually evolved and were made for this planet, we'd be able to swim better, okay? And you can't actually deny that. Um, I don't want to get into theory of evolution because I'm just going to go woo-woo straight off the bat. Still. So there's two main indigenous myths. One is the, and it's basically the Palladian versus Orion, okay? So the seven sisters of the Pallades were chased by the three brothers of Orion across the stars and they came here to our little blue ball. What is the only unique thing about our little blue ball, Brendan? The only unique thing? One of the most unique things about this blue ball. Why would they come here? If if extraterrestrials came here, why would they come here? Oh, there's lots of reasons of it. I know. I think I know where you're going to go, but I can't consciously... I know, I've got this feeling that I know where you're taking this, but please enlighten us all. <laughs> Life, Brendan. Yes, life. <laughs> fairly obvious. <laughs> life, okay? We have animals here. There is hominids here. Understanding that the, at last count, look, mind you, the evidence is very, very thin, but at last count, I think there's 24 different types of hominids that they've identified uh, that have existed on this planet at one time or another. Uh, Paracas skulls. When you want to look at something weird, look up Paracas skulls. That's another mystery that, we won't go there tonight because I'm, I'm in the middle of some... That's another... I've got like 15 different research things that depending on how I feel, I'll pick one up and go again. Yep. But yeah, Paracas skulls. Look into that. Because <coughs> everyone goes, like the Anunnaki thing is gold. There's entire asteroids made of gold in the cosmos, right? There's, there, there is chunks of ice in the Torrid Media Stream that are bigger than this planet. So it's not water, okay? Wood is very unique to this planet, actually. Timber is one of the unique things to this planet, but it's life, mate, life, yep. okay? So the story goes that the Palladians came here, but they couldn't exactly uh, exist on this planet because they are, or as the story goes, a silica-based life form, okay? Uh, you know the Strong Boys. Uh, this is actually another piece of the research that I'm, I'm doing, um, and I'm going to actually... I've, I've done a, a podcast with Stephen uh, and I wanted to, I'm going to get back in touch with those guys because the, a lot of those stones, you know, the stones that they have, uh, that is a lot of those stones from some of the research I've been doing is australite tektite, mate. Okay. Tell us uh, about that. So australite tektite is a silica-based type stone that entered our atmosphere about 780,000 years ago. Now, a guy by the name of Bruce Fenton, uh, he had a 
psychedelic experience <laughs> and basically connected to he he envisioned himself flying a crystal spaceship a smaller one and he watched a larger spaceship crash into a planet now for whatever reason he pulled on that string not expecting to find anything valerie burrows which i know the strong guys know as well she's a, an indigenous lady she is the basis of a lot of this story. Um, but so the story goes, the Pladians came here. They modified us from a hominid that existed here, okay, to create Homo sapiens sapiens, and they basically crash landed in, in Australia. The story being, and look, it's hard to know where you go. Again, we don't actually know. No one fucking knows anything. However, you know, there was a, there was a battle or something in the ship we like to put human stuff into it. So there was a fight. Everyone's fighting. For whatever reason, the ship crashed into the earth. Okay. Now, Bruce thought, is there any evidence of this? As it turns out, there is. Uh, again, zero mistakes. Let's see if I can find what I'm looking for. Always zero mistakes all the time. Ding, ding, ding. I think I'm going the wrong way. Oh, there we go. No, there we go. Okay, so there's three. Can you see that, mate? Yeah, mate. There's three main tectites uh, around the globe, okay? And they can explain Moldavite, but Moldavite's interesting as well. It's almost like uh, nuclear glass. Um, mm -hmm. But, yeah, these, three, these are the three tectites that are found. Australite tectite. And you see the Australasian strewn field. Okay. You find this stuff uh, all over Australia and it's almost black. Sometimes it's round. Sometimes it looks like uh, teardrop shapes. Sometimes it looks like, um, like semicircle shapes. It's very strange stuff. And the reason it's shaped like that, because if anything that comes in, like if a meteorite hits, mate, it's doing 1,600 kilometres, 16,000 kilometres an hour, it hits hard. This Australite tectite basically didn't hit hard. And if you actually look at the NASA website, uh, the, it, NASA has studied this. And on the NASA website, they say that about, about 800,000 years ago, something was in a low Earth orbit over Earth, lost its propulsion or whatever it is, and basically slowly crashed into the planet. There is absolute evidence for it. And you can find this stuff everywhere. And a lot of the stuff that a lot of those, the, the Turinga stones that the strong boys have is Australite tectite. Yeah. Uh, that, that's something that I've confirmed over the last few days, um, which is interesting. And I had a trippy experience with those stones, but we won't go into that tonight. And the reason that it's um, these things around is they basically just, they slowly hit the planet and just sort of rolled, basically. And you find them everywhere. If you were, you walked out in the bush for long enough, like out in the desert, you can see, you know, central Australia there. Um, interestingly, Gympie or eastern Australia is a big spot there. Just, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's actually Mullumbimby somewhere in there. You know what I mean? Yeah. So basically... These Palladians, yeah, that's, the, that's the prevailing Indigenous Australian story. They modified our DNA to create Homo sapiens sapiens. Now, 
the one the reason that we basically we're on the top of the heap now is our ability to communicate. However, and you're you've got a little one now, and I'm sure you're talking to her, and you know, mum, mum, dad, dad. You know, you, you, you're you're teaching her how to speak. Mm-hmm. Who taught the first people how to speak? Excellent question. It is a learned thing. <clears throat> so someone at some point had to teach us how to talk. Mm. Right? I, I there, there is evidence that went from grunts to pointing or whatever, but the, the eloquence of communication is the reason we're at the top. And genetically speaking, uh, I think um, there's a great YouTube documentary, 780,000. It goes for about 45 minutes. If you're looking for something to watch when you're nursing a little one, watch that. It's pretty good. Uh, However, he talks about genetics and the fact that human homo sapiens sapiens genetics have changed eight times over the last million years or something like that. I'm I'm butchering these numbers. But whatever it is, over 70% of it has actually been in our brain, our our prefrontal cortex and our ability to reason, Okay. Because the other thing is too, mate, if you think about, you know, lions, tigers and bears, oh my, you know, wolves, we are not the best. We, we, the only reason we are the virus that currently exists on the earth consuming and consuming is their ability to communicate and to organise, yeah. right? Because we're not actually, there's plenty of animals out there that could really do some damage to us. Um, but our ability to organise and create weapons and communicate is the only reason that we're at the top of the heap. And if you think about from an evolutionary perspective, I think there were hominids on this planet that evolved on this planet. Okay. Yet we were given a bump start. Now the trippier bit of evidence about this is the ship exploded. Now in the vacuum of space, if the ship exploded, then that means there might be australite tectite on the moon. Now, we can talk about the moon another day. However, if you are to the, the rock samples that were brought back from the moon, within them, if you were to, if they were found on Earth, some of those rock samples would be australite tectite. Sure, sure. So, and the other one is too, is it basically, yeah, and, and they, 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 the story goes that the space police came and basically told the, the Orions and Palladians to stop it and stop messing with the planet. And if they didn't, they were going to come back and throw asteroids at the planet. And, five, and they said, in 5,000 years, if you guys don't mess around, stop messing around, we're going to throw asteroids at the planet. Would there be evidence for that? As it turns out, at about 775,000 years ago, there is evidence of a multiple impact bombardment from separate sides of the planet. Okay, interesting. So it's like there's more hard evidence for some of this story being true than there is evidence that Jesus walked the earth. Yeah, sure. But it's 800,000 years in the past. But also, what that means is that Homo sapiens sapiens existed on this planet, uh, existed, and were potentially created here in Australia. So that means that we came from here, okay, out of Australia. 
Now, the spiritual culture that I believe once existed, and this is some of the, the other work that I've been doing in the background with Richard's help and through research, through looking at some of the strong boys' research, um, if you think about spirituality in a global sense, as far as Indigenous spirituality, Brendan, it is pretty much exactly the same all over the planet, okay? It's, it's honouring the elements. It's honouring Mother Earth. It's, it's honouring the harvest. It's honouring the nature. It's, 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 it's self. It's these things and this, this baseline, I would almost say, unique human spirituality in a, in a baseline sense yep. exists in the same form all over the globe. So I posit that maybe this spiritual culture, and this is through, you know, this is elaborating on some of Richard's research and adding my own twist to it, that multiple cultures from around the planet came here to learn about spirit, about the, the, the soul of spirituality. And I know you're all over that with, the, with your book and stuff like that. And but then they, they went back to where they went, whence they came and they kept the core lessons, but adapted it for their own locale. Okay. You know, you've got the Druids, you've got the Egyptians, you've got this, you've got that, you've got that. But the baseline spirituality, again, and we had this discussion a little while ago in one of the podcasts we did, the baseline religion, the, 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 what existed, the base of this is pretty much exactly the same the world over. And there's a set of symbols that echo the world over. There's, and this megalithic society echoes the world over. You know, and the destruction, the unequivocal destruction. We talked about the noses being taken off in Egypt. They very much concentrated the destruction here in Australia. Like they wiped everything out that was anything to do with with uh, the indigenous being more advanced than they than they. We were told, especially as us as kids, you know, we weren't told anything. But that echoes around the globe too, mate. They did that in India. They did that in America. They did it in South America. There's another thought pattern of mine that I see, uh, you know, we talk about the global cabal. I see something going back past the Trojans that is almost a, a, a systematic destruction of, of, of this spiritual culture that once existed because of the materialism needed to rise up as opposed to understanding spirit on a deeper level. Um, yeah. It's a, it's a very, that's, I mean, that's a very interesting thread, mate. I'm going to have to wrap this up. We've been, uh, we've been going strong for a good, or at least a couple of hours. So hey, mate, what you, what you, what you, <laughs> I don't want to like, you know, shut down all the interesting rabbit holes, but I've got to go to bed at some point. Yeah, I know, man. I'm, I'm the same dude. I've got, I've got a five o'clock start tomorrow. So um, yeah, it's uh yeah, look, there's a thousand things to say, mate. I think be open-minded. Again, those that have listened to this podcast, get in touch with me if it doesn't make sense. If you don't think anything that I've said doesn't make sense, then get in touch with me. I'm not tied to any of the ideas that I've talked to you about tonight. All these ideas can change and mould and and it, with every new idea is a new perspective. I'm not tied to any of them. You know, with a sufficient amount of evidence, I'll change my mind tomorrow about anything that I've spoken about tonight. Because the one thing that I know, and, and this we talk about that global spiritual stuff, 
is the key, one of the keys to that is knowing that you know nothing. And I know that I know nothing, despite the plethora of, of evidence that I've, I've blurted at you tonight. Um, yeah. But, mate, look, I just I do appreciate your time. Um, I haven't got much else, mate. Um, there's some interesting stuff. I mean, I, I didn't mention Halloween. Um, we, could, we, we could finish on Halloween. I could say that one pretty quickly. Uh, or do you want to? All yeah. Right. All right. Yeah. Let's let's tie it up with Halloween, mate. Let's go. Let's go. Succinct Halloween conclusion. <laughs> okay. Because it sort of does tie into everything we're talking about. Mate. So Halloween. I hope so. <laughs> it, it does. Halloween or Dia de los Muertos is the Day of the Dead. Now, what a a, a bunch of anthropologists, archaeologists, and archaeoastronomers got together and uh, oh, we did a podcast on this as well. So we did a, there's another podcast in the back catalogue on unlocking the code, unlocking, unlocking the code. I'm beginning to, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm at mind my brain's exploding as well, mate. Um, so the Torrid Media Stream, twice a year, we pass through the Torrid Media Stream. In June, at the end of June and the end of October into November, the Torrid Media Stream is 30,000 kilometres wide we orbit at about 2,000 kilometres a day. It takes us about 15 days to pass through it. And we do that every year and have done for tens of thousands. Who knows how many thousands of years we've done that for? At least 13,000 because that is the culp- that is the most likely culprit of where the meteorites came from. Uh, Graham Hancock, who I know you love, says that twice a year we put on a blindfold and walk across a six-lane highway and hope a truck's not coming in the other direction. Um <laughs> they estimate that there is pieces of rock in that Torrid media stream, thousands of them kilometre wide and bigger. Underneath that, there's who knows how many thousands of three to four to 500 pieces of rock that are in that Torrid media stream. So Halloween, the Day of the Dead. We may be celebrating 13,000 years later the day the world ended because mm-hmm. Halloween... The Halloween is October 31st. Now, what this study came up with is that multiple cultures in Asia, in obviously America, in Europe, in basically every major continent across the planet, they celebrate a day of the dead of sorts around October 31. Hmm. If that is when the meteorites came out of the sky smashed into the ice shelf and hit the reset button, then that means we are every year there's an echo through time that we celebrate the day the world ended. Because what is Armageddon, Brendan? It's represented as floods, volcanoes and rocks from the sky. And that's it, brother. That is it. There are certain things that we celebrate every year. Halloween's one of them. We could talk, not, we're not going to go into down any more rabbit holes. But there's a few instances every year that we celebrate that we have been celebrating for tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands a year that we aren't even aware of as modern humans. And Halloween is one of them, man. We may be celebrating every year the day that the world ended. And that'll do, mate. That's that'll do. That's yeah. It's a hell of a note to finish on, mate, and you're giving people plenty to uh, ponder on when they, when they, you know, on their own time. So, yeah, look, 
ladies and gents, I want to thank my mate Triff here from Unlocking the Code podcast for having a chat with me about alternative history and all this fun stuff. Triff, thanks, buddy. We'll do this again sometime, eh? Let's 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 do it again. Thanks, mate. Cheers. One, two.